Hello, thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Guy Aitchison's Reinventing the Tattoo Community, where tattooers, apprentices, collectors, and the curious are encouraged to join in these live streams. Real world events we share and inspire to ultimately create better art and tattoos together every day. You are currently watching Nutrition and Fitness for Tattoo Artists with Coach Zach Turner. On-demand reruns can be found in our library. We have tons of tattoo and art rabbit holes. This show, art jams, drawing groups, interviews, panels, webinars, seriously, we are beaming out three to seven awesome art shows a week that can all be found right here in our library. You may be beaming in from YouTube or Facebook or listening to this podcast, but you can always get the latest event schedule and notifications at the official free Reinventing the Tattoo community. It can be found in both of your app stores, Apple or Google Play, or also at Reinventing the Tattoo or community.reinventingthetattoo.com. Our goal is not to keep you addicted to your phone, but to easily access inspiration and awesome conversations that are perfect to put on in the background. It's also great for the front room or studio or to entertain your tattoo clients. Now, another cool thing that we're doing is giving away these goodie bags. Today, I will be choosing one of you to give one to. We've got raw pigments and some cartridges and goodies from Cheyenne Tattoo Equipment. I will announce the winner at the end of this show today. Also, we've got some pretty cool upcoming pro development and courses that are available on demand. If you missed it on the 18th of May, we spoke with Andre Malcolm for a live webinar, which is also available on a koi fish sleeve design. Um, we also have all of our courses available at courses.reinventingthetattoo.com. All right, we also want to highlight one of our featured members this week out of France, Emmy Black Sheep. Now, Emmy has been active in the community, and we're really thankful. Um, you can find Emmy's account right there in the community as well. Thank you, Emmy, for um, being a part of Reinventing. All right. We also have some really cool weekly events for you guys. We've got Jason Lesser, a great friend of mine. He does a drawing group with others on every Sunday. All skill levels are welcome to join. That's at 1 p.m. Eastern. Also, Jake Meeks of our affiliate Fireside Tattoo Network is live every single Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. If you want to bring a design that you're working on or you know a drawing or painting that you're working on, that's the perfect time to work with other artists and get feedback on what you're working on. And that happens every Monday at 9 a.m. Also, one of the podcasts that I host, which I love, is a tattoo collecting podcast with Fawn Baker and Jordan Rookus of Red Tree Gallery. All right, like I said a few times, this is a free community and we wanna thank the, our great sponsors for making that happen. We have Inkjet Stencils. Now, if you haven't heard of Inkjet Stencils, they make tattoo artists life easier. You can find them at inkjetstencils.com or in our app as well. If you have any questions, feel free to send us a message and we'll be in touch with you. We also have Raw Pigments which are new to our Reinventing the Tattoo community. They make fantastic acrylic-free colors. Um, a wide range of different things are available. We have washes, uh, blacks, whites, all sorts of stuff. So you can find them at rawpigments.co. Other than that, um, we're excited to get started today with Coach Zach Turner. He's got a lot of um, information to share with us, and we will be taking time at the end of the presentation for Q&A. So why don't you leave us a comment, let us know where you're beaming in from, and let's go ahead and meet Zach. All right. 
Here we go. Zach, how are you doing? I'm really excited to have you here. I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you all about uh, fitness and nutrition topics today. Excellent. Let's get started. All right. So I want to just share with you uh, my slides here for my presentation, my visuals for today. And uh, at the end, I'll be happy to take any questions that you might have. All right. So starting off, I just want to go over um, who I am and what I do, my background, how I got into this business and uh, what I love about it so much. Um, so my name is Zach Turner. I am a trainer at, well, I'm the, the head training um, head trainer and director at the factory Bloomington Normal and the Athlete Factory in Bloomington, Illinois. I've been there for about eight years now. I've been in the personal training game for over 10 years now. It's something that um, I've always been passionate about. <clears throat> I actually grew up going to the gym and watching my mom teach aerobics classes from the kids' room. And I would sneak out on the gym floor and use this really old military press machine and hit shoulders as much as I have was allowed to before I got kicked back into the kids room. Um, then over the years, I just got into it. Um, I had a, a lot of uh, issues family-wise with health growing up. So uh, my dad passed away when I was younger. My grandparents dealt with um, uh, diseases, heart disease, um, issues like that, that could have been probably mitigated greatly by uh, more focus on nutrition, lifestyle, um, and physical activity in their day-to-day -day life. So that was something that, you know, really drew me to it and made me want to change it so that I didn't have those uh, kinds of outcomes in my future as well. Um, my philosophy on training is to be as efficient and effective as possible. You know, people come to train with me so that they don't have to do the research and stuff to figure all this stuff out that took me years to do. I want to make the most out of your time and I want to be as effective as possible, keep you injury free, and as make as much progress as possible. That way, you know, we are efficient in optimizing your life and your quality of life. So that's basically, you know, my background, where I came from, and what I'm looking to do. Um, today, I would like to talk to you all about some things that you can use, hopefully starting right away, to enhance your lifestyle, um, optimize your lifestyle to improve your quality of life so you're better in all areas of life. Because one thing, fitness, nutrition, and all of those kind of uh, efforts will do was just enhance every other area of your life. Uh, imagine having greater amount of time that you can work because you have greater endurance or your posture is better because you've gotten stronger or even your focus is better when you're working on a big project, it can really enhance your lifestyle and what you're capable of achieving. So next up, we'll go through the, the pyramid visual that I like to use to discuss the overall layout for nutrition. Um, so for this one, you'll see that there's it's laid out with the base being the largest, like a pyramid, and then the top being the smallest. So Order of importance is how this is laid out. So first we have uh, calories, overall calories, mainly that has to do with your overall energy intake, uh, how many calories you take in, and then considering how many calories that you put out, um, and we'll go over that in more detail. But looking at the balance of that, is your goal to lose weight? Is your goal to maintain your weight and 
be in the best health possible? Is your goal to gain weight, maybe gain muscle mass? That will change what the calorie uh, equation should look like. From there, we have macros, which you may be familiar with this term. It's like a buzzword in the fitness community. Macros is just short for macronutrients. So if you look at a, a, a packaging for food, you'll see there's grams of fat, grams of carbohydrates, and grams of protein. Those are the different macronutrients. Um, fats have nine calories per gram, carbs, four calories per gram, proteins, four calories per gram. Those are kind of what we're looking at. So within the calorie equation, we'll discuss a little bit about what your, your macro breakdown could look like. From there, there's food composition. That's basically like the quality of your diet. You know, do you eat lots of fruits and vegetables? Do you eat lots of processed foods? You know, what kind of food composition should you be shooting for at any given meal or overall in your daily eating plan? Uh, moving up from there is timing. Um, timing mainly has to do with how to optimize your food intake around your activities. You know, if you're a, if you're someone who enjoys doing endurance sports like triathlon or running, um, learning how to eat to support those kinds of activities. Or on the other hand, if you're just eating for health, how can you time your food in a more effective way? And finally, I have it abbreviated as, as SUPS, but that's referring to supplements. Um, and a lot of people get hung up on, you know, what products do I need to use? What supplements do I need to take to achieve my goal of fat loss or muscle gain or whatever it might be? And most of the time, it's the, the icing on the cake, you know, the top 5% maybe of the equation would be supplements. And really it's not even worth going over the supplements aspect until you tackle the major hurdles lower down the pyramid. And then from there, this is something that I beat on a lot. If you start to follow me or you go through any of my uh, previous posts, you'll see I talk a lot, a lot. I beat the horse to death about consistency. And consistency pays off I can't even explain the importance of it, but I'm going to do my best. Um, if you think about consistency, I kind of think about this as like from a financial example. Um, it's like the compound interest. You know, if you're saving for retirement and you're putting X amount of dollars away per month, you know, it starts off and you don't have that much in your account. But if it's invested well and it's seeing a consistent interest rate of growth, over time, as you save more and save more, the balance goes up. You save more, the balance goes up. Well, then the interest starts to make the balance go up. And over time, that interest compounds over and over again. So you have a substantial amount in that account. Consistency is kind of like that for nutrition and exercise. So the longer period of time you've been consistent with your diet, eating healthy, you know, trying to adhere to the constraints you need to adhere to for your goals, the longer you'll see progress. And the longer that progress, those changes that you've made in that time will stick around if you were to take time off even as well. So if you've been training for 10 years and you have two months where you had some kind of a health issue or maybe you were traveling or maybe there's a global pandemic that prevents you from exercising like you normally would, you have those 10 years to, to hedge against it. So you're less likely to lose a lot during that time 
because of the amount of time you spent consistently training in the past. And the same goes for your nutrition and diet. If you've been eating really well for 10 years, but you have two months where you go on vacation and you have a lot of social uh, commitments and things like that, you, you'll see some changes, sure, but it won't stick around as long as if you were flip-flopped and you've been eating healthy for two months, you've been unhealthy for 10 years and you're expecting to see a ton of progress. So the consistency is the piece that underpins all of the other principles of nutrition and exercise. Consistency is the requirement for those things to be effective. You can have the most perfect plan for training, the most perfect nutrition setup, the plan, all that stuff can be laid out to the most minute of details, but it's of little consequence if you're not able to execute on that and not just to execute on it, but to do it day in and day out over and over again. So when I'm talking to you about this stuff today, my goal is to give you information that's actionable and hopefully at a level that you're able to do it right away. You know, when I'm coaching people, I'm looking to give you information based on where you are, not necessarily what the ideal is. I'm happy to give that information, but I'd rather give you information that makes more sense for you so that you can apply it in the here and now, you know, telling you to eat X amount of calories and macros and hit this amount of carbs before you work out at blank time. That may not be appropriate if you have zero experience with this, you know, so we'll keep it simple today. We'll talk about a more health centered goal um, and then how that still applies and carries over to higher level um, nutrition coaching setups and more goal specific types of setups. All right. So the first part of that pyramid was the calories at the bottom. So that's energy balance, the calories in and calories out. Um, so when we're thinking about calories in calories out, a lot of people have probably heard the word metabolism. That's basically the sum of all the calories inside and then all the outbound calories side as well. You know, the sum of that is our metabolism and there's, you know, millions of processes going on throughout your body that make this exchange happen. And we categorize it into bigger chunks in my field. So basically the energy in is the food that you take in, you know, um, and then also that includes, that can be influenced, I should say, you know, by your appetite, by the foods consumed, um, the calories you absorb, that can have to do with some gut health, stuff like that, health status, and then stressors as well or other psychological factors. All those pieces are kind of on the inside, you know, outbound, you know, your daily activity, like if you exercise, that would be on the outbound side that makes that number go up. Um, your NEAT or your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, that's just your, your daily movement, you know, stuff that you don't do for the purpose of exercise. It's just part of your daily routine. If you have to walk to work every day, you know, for example, that would be one of them or the steps. If you have a step tracker, like a Apple watch or another wearable that kind of helps you get an idea of what your need is each day. And then your food is actually part of that as well. You know, thermogenesis, energy burned by metabolizing food is what you see on this uh, visual here. And basically some foods cost more to process than others. So you'll see later on in my shirt here, I say 
eat your vegetables. I spend my life telling people to eat their vegetables. Um, a lot of that has to do with being more um, useful for the outbound side of the metabolism equation. So it costs more energy for your food to process fibrous foods like vegetables than it does like Cheetos that have no fiber and zero nutrition and they're highly processed. So they're really easy for your body to absorb. Um, I also will be talking about protein a lot and protein intake and I'll, I'll overuse that word as well, but that's because protein is also really helpful for that outbound side. It costs a lot for your body to process. It helps you maintain your lean tissue. And then it's also veggies and protein are really helpful for satiety or feeling full around meals. You know, if you're trying to lose weight, you're ultimately playing the game of, I need less calories in than I do on the outbound side with calories out. I need to burn more than I take in. That way I'm in a net energy negative. You know, I'm in a calorie deficit. I burn more than I take in. That's what you have to accomplish for weight loss. So all the strategies for the, the diet that I'll be talking about are based around helping you achieve that end. You know, on the other side of the equation, talking about muscle gain or weight gain, you know, um, that's going to be a calorie surplus. So we are taking in more calories than we put out, than we burn. So we're in a surplus of calories. We eat more than we burn and you still need to hit your proteins there. You still need to hit your veggies there. That's just where it starts to be fine tuned. And we don't have to fight with your appetite as much in terms of making you as full as possible off fewer calories like fat loss. When we're going for muscle gain, that's where we have to think about, you know, what kind of foods can we get a lot of calories in without so much volume that it's hard to eat. So calorie balance is the biggest number one piece. And then within that, we start to talk about macronutrients. So I have it laid out here. Like I said before, on that pyramid screen, our macronutrients are fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. So laid out here, I have proteins top left because that's the one I really want to emphasize the most. That's the one that people tend to fall short on the most, but is extremely important from a body composition. So how much body fat you have relative to your body weight, how much muscle you have relative to your body weight. Um, that's basically your body fat percentage or has a lot to do with how you look, but it also has a great deal to do with how healthy you are. Curing excess body fat is usually very hard on your body for some people more than others, but generally a lot of disease states are associated with higher levels of body fat. So in the interest of keeping your lean tissue up, your metabolism elevated, your performance high, having enough protein to maintain your lean body mass is very important. So talking about proteins, um, it's basically broken down into protein dense foods, meaning foods where a bulk, the bulk of the calories come from protein. And so ideally you would eat protein with each meal. Um, and when should you be eating meals for this talk? I'm talking about when your appetite dictates that you should eat a meal. So on a scale of one to 10, you know, you would ideally eat a meal around like seven or eight. If you're looking to lose weight, that would basically be to have a more controlled appetite 
so you don't overeat or overindulge or make poor food choices. You can think about times where you've had a really long day and you haven't eaten all day. You didn't think about it while you were working and busy because you were occupied, but then you get done and bam, you're ready to smash all the food at the drive-thru. So thinking about this as stepping back a little bit, being more objective, assessing where your appetite is. Here we'd be talking about when you start to feel seven or eight out of 10 hungry. Um, when you get to that point, you'd be looking to base a meal around your protein intake and how much should you eat would come down to hand portions. I like using hand portions because they're always available. So we're talking about the size of your palms, size and thickness of your palms. For women, a serving would be one palm versus men would be more like two palms. And sometimes it's one to two and sometimes it's two to three. It will depend on the person and the goal. But in general, each meal, one palm for women, two palms for males. Uh, some examples of lean proteins would be lean meats, you know, 90 plus percent lean, like ground meats, like ground beef, ground turkey, ground chicken, bison, venison, stuff that's on the leaner side. That's not to say that an 80% lean ground chuck is not a protein. It just also has a significant amount of fat calories. And like a ribeye steak, for example, is about 50-50. That's why it tastes so awesome. But it also isn't really a lean protein since it gets more of its calories from fat than it does from protein. So for this particular case, I'm talking about proteins where most of the calories come from protein. Uh, any kind of fish or seafood is always a great option for lean protein, eggs and egg whites, and then low fat or non-fat dairies are also a great option like cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, uh, stuff like that. Then you have legumes. Um, those are kind of a hybrid. So legumes are beans, peas, stuff like that. Uh, lentils. They'll have about a third of their calories from protein and the, the rest of them from carbohydrates generally. Um, just depends on which one you choose, but they can be a good way to replace a carbohydrate with a legume, a lentil, a bean to up your protein intake if you struggle with that. And then there's also protein supplements. Um, looking at the pyramid, I had supplements at the top there. I don't really consider protein powder. I don't look at it as much of a supplement in terms of performance and whatnot, as it is like a, a protein supplement for increasing your total protein intake. Um, and I would try and use it as that. A lot of people end up using protein powder as a crutch for their protein intake. It's super easy, you know, throw some water in a in a shaker bottle like this and shake it up and you're done. But ideally you would eat most of your proteins that will help you manage your appetite, you know, take your time when you eat meals, stuff like that. And there are also some plant-based options for protein as well. Tofu, tempeh, and then like pea protein, hemp protein, rice, soy proteins, things like that. If you're constrained to more of a plant-based approach. So that's our protein intake, um, looking for one to two palms at any given meal. You know, from there we'll go over fats. Um, so different kinds of fats, saturated, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, unsaturated. And your goal is to split those pretty evenly. The amount of fats you take in each day spread out relatively evenly between each of those three types. 
So your saturated fats will come from your proteins for the most part. Uh, those are animal fats, stuff you find in eggs, dairy, meat, butter, um, cheese, stuff like that. Coconut oil, palm oil, those would be examples of saturated fats as well. Um, if you eat out, um, you do much fast food and things like that. Saturated fat will be up there enough. You, you'll rarely, if ever, need to supplement saturated fats into your diet. Um, you're more than likely be looking to take down some of your saturated fat intake in place of monounsaturated or polyunsaturated fats. Uh, some examples of monounsaturated would be like nuts, macadamias, pecans, almonds, cashews, tahini, hazelnuts, olive oil, avocados, stuff like that. And then you have your polyunsaturated, which would be like your fish oil, hemp seeds, algae oil, safflower, sunflower seeds, those kinds of things. So fats, I'm not going to spend a ton of time focusing on because most people do not struggle to get in enough fats in their diet. Generally, um, especially for weight loss, it's usually focused around taking in fewer fats because they're so calorie dense. You know, when I was talking about our macronutrients, um, fats have nine calories per gram, carbs and protein have four calories per gram. So fats are more than double the amount per gram of carbohydrates and protein. So for fats, you'll notice like from a volume standpoint, uh, two tablespoons of peanut butter is about 200 calories. Whereas if I was going to eat broccoli for 200 calories, that would be like eight cups of broccoli. So the amount of volume for the, the fibrous vegetable, which is a carbohydrate, um, compared to the fats is very different. So if I need to get in more calories to gain weight, you know, fats can be very advantageous for adding calories and also not put a ton of load on me in terms of the sugar intake and blood sugar management. Whereas if I'm trying to lose weight and I want those 200 calories to go as far as possible, then eating stuff like fibrous vegetables where I'm eating eight cups for those 200 calories can be really helpful because eating a bucket of broccoli usually leaves you not craving other foods. <laughs> All right. From there, we'll talk about our carbohydrates. So for that, we have um, a variety of different carbs and it's mainly around how quickly they digest. Okay. So we have um, simple sugars and highly processed starches. That would be like recovery drinks, sugary sports drinks, um, sodas, breakfast cereals, uh, table sugar, baked goods, stuff like that will be very high in these simple sugars and highly processed starches. These would be the kind of uh, carbohydrates we would want to limit for health in general. Um, particularly if you're going for weight loss, you would want to limit these. It just tends to not be filling or satiating. And it tends to, I mean, they're very sugary and there's usually a lot of them in one place. So it tends to spike your blood sugars, which in general is not as good for um, health purposes. However, if you are very active, you're an athlete, um, you have lower levels of body fat, those kinds of situations, it can be really helpful to use some of these unhealthy type carbs as they're generally categorized for recovery and performance. So for example, if you just went for, went to the gym and you did a hard workout for an hour and a half and you have another one tomorrow, 
it might be wise to get in a recovery shake with some quick digesting protein, like a whey protein powder and some kind of quick digesting carbohydrate, like a sports drink um, or something along those lines. My personal favorite for this application would be breakfast cereal. <laughs> so it can be useful in certain situations. You just want to limit the amount of it and it should be based on how active you are and your goals. Uh, whole food, minimally processed starchy carbs would be your, you know, your more standard carbs when you think of them that way. I tend to categorize vegetables as like their own deal. Technically, they're a carbohydrate, but usually I'm talking about a starch, a minimally processed one when I'm talking about carbs with my clients. Some examples of that would be like breads, pastas, oats, rice, um, quinoa, things like that. And ideally, more whole grain varieties of those options. Potatoes would be another one. So those would be like around my activities, having some starchy carbohydrates are helpful for recovery and energy. Your body uses carbohydrates all the time. That's a preferred fuel, fuel source for your brain. And taking them in is not going to make you fat, contrary to popular belief. So you need not worry about that. There are a lot of situations where adding more carbohydrates to your diet can help you feel more satisfied more often and thereby limit the amount of overeating that happens to get your calories in a spot where they should be. Uh, finally, there's fruits and vegetables on the far right there. Those are one of your better options for carbohydrate intake. Fruits and brightly colored vegetables will generally have more carbohydrates than fibrous green type vegetables. Um, or berries have fewer carbohydrates for fruit than like a banana, for example. Um, but any of those fruits or veggies are great options for carbohydrates. They're gonna be your most nutrient dense, meaning they have all your vitamins and minerals. You know, if you've, if you've ever heard like eat your reds and your greens, that's referring to your fruits and vegetables. That basically gets you all the stuff that you need from your diet. Um, so that you don't need to do something like a multivitamin um, or will be rest, less reliant on something like that for your micronutrients. Ideally, vegetables, you would get in at least one, if not like two to three fists at any given meal. Um, so like we talked about protein before, coming over to carbs, we'd have our one to two palms of protein, and then we'd have our one plus fist of vegetables Males, generally two to three females, one to two. If you're going for weight loss and you have a high appetite, you may jack that number up. If you are going for muscle gain, as long as you're getting about three fifths of veggies a day in total, um, you may dial that back so you can get in more food from the carbohydrates, from the fats, and maybe even the protein. So those are our major macronutrients. Those are the players we're talking about. And there are times where timing these things in different ways can be advantageous, but starting off, you're looking for a consistent, doable setup. So you would want to balance things out. You know, for most people, three to five meals a day is going to cover the bulk of their day. Most people that fits their preferences, that fits their schedule, and that allows you to get in enough over those meals. It also tends to be three hours to five hours about how long it takes between meals before your appetite starts to pick back up. 
And if we use appetite to regulate the amount of food we eat per day, which is great, that's basically your body telling you, you know, this is the right amount of food, then it should be structured somewhere around there. Um, any given meal, looking for your proteins, looking for your veggies. And then if you're active, thinking about how many carbs you should have, two to three cupped handfuls. If you're very active, maybe one cupped handful if you're not as active. And then looking for some healthy fats on there too. If you have your protein covered, you know the saturated fat is probably taken care of. You may need to add some fats from your monounsaturated or your polyunsaturated, um, depending on what kind of foods you're choosing at any given meal. All right, so going more over those hand measurements, like I said, you got your proteins, you got your veggies, you got your carbs. So proteins are your palms one to two for females, maybe two or even three for males, fists of veggies, at least one, if not more, the more the better usually. Carbs, trying to take in carbs mostly around when you are active, uh, generally one handful if you're not as active, two to three if you're more active or if you're larger. And then your fats are like your thumb measurement. That one throws people a little bit because they're like, how does this look like a serving of fat? If you were to lay out some nuts, for example, like almonds on a plate, and it was laid out about the size of your thumb, that would be what we're talking about. That's just to give you a visual. Again, listing out our proteins, plain, plain Greek yogurt or low-fat Greek yogurt. Um, you could always do a flavored one too if you just can't stomach the, the plain variety. The plain version just has a lot more protein. So it can be a little bit better. But like I said, it's all about what you can actually do. So starting off at first, if you need a flavored one, by all means, go for it. That'll be great. Uh, eggs and egg whites. Eggs are also going to have some fat in each one, whereas the egg whites do not. So if you're trying to lose some weight and eggs are a regular uh, protein source in your diet, you may limit the amount of whole eggs or dial those back and replace for egg whites. The general replacement would be about two egg whites for every one egg to get the same amount of protein. Um, liquid egg whites too, that come in a carton, usually are more uh, cost effective per the amount of protein and convenient. And I hate wasting stuff. So I usually tend to buy the liquid ones. They're also very convenient. Um, and a lot of times they're pasteurized. So if you have any interest in trying to make um, overnight oats, and you can add some egg whites for extra protein. You can eat those without necessarily having to cook them. That's an option. Uh, any kind of fish or seafood, like I said, is great. Uh, turkey, chicken, lentils, beans, those would be on the, the end of the eat more often uh, proteins, leaner proteins, lower in saturated fat, high in protein. Then you get to like your middle of the road, stuff that you would eat some of the time, but maybe not as much as the ones we just went over. That would be like medium lean meats like beefs or minimally processed deli meats that are leaner like deli turkey, ham, things like that, tofu, protein powders. Those are all great proteins too, just in more of the middle of the road range. Um, and then from there on the, the bottom side to eat less often would be like your processed stuff, your protein bars, your processed soy, fried meat, um, those tend to be really high in fat and saturated fat and then fish that tends to be high in mercury. Those would be the proteins you would want to take in less, although they're still good protein sources.
Uh, carbohydrates, we'll kind of go over those in the same fashion. Um, steel cut, rolled, and old-fashioned oats are a great option for a starchy carb. Quinoa is awesome. Sweet potatoes, but I would say even white potatoes are good too. Um, if you're more active, you're exercising, by all means, white potatoes are a great source. And even if you're not, they're totally fine. They have some fiber too. Um, a lot of this has to do with how glycemic are these foods or how quickly does your body break down these carbs. In the interest of that, your whole meal is taken into account. You know, the higher the protein, the higher the fiber intake from your vegetables, the slower your food will digest, which is good because it'll keep you full for longer. And that's what we're looking for is stuff that isn't a quick spike to your blood sugar, like sugar and fruit juices, like the bottom of this page. But in the interest of talking about potatoes in general, do not need to demonize white potatoes. Okay. Uh, fresh and frozen fruit are great options. You can always take your fresh fruit and before it goes bad, you can throw it in the freezer. That way you don't waste it. Um, those would all be, oh, and whole grain, black and wild rice would be fine. White rice is fine too, by the way. Um, that would be in your eat more often end of the carbohydrate category. In the middle, couscous, white rice, instant or flavored oats. Those are in the middle because they're a little bit more processed, a little bit quicker digesting, which again can be advantageous if you're eating them around exercise or activity. That way there's something in your bloodstream to support your activity while you're doing it. And then finally at the bottom, the eat less often side is sugar, fruit juices, pastries, honey. I like this visual, but I will say pastries and other baked goods tend to be about half and a half fat and carbs. Um, it doesn't really matter what kind of diet you like. All this stuff still applies. You still have to abide by calories. You still have to abide by enough protein, enough vegetables. You still eventually will have to cross the bridge of timing and food composition and consistency by all means will have to be there. But a lot of people would categorize, you know, oh, carbs are bad because cookies are carbs and cookies are bad. But stuff like cookies or donuts or any kind of baked goods, pastries, they're about half and half fat and carbs. So a lot of times people think they're eliminating carbs by not eating donuts anymore. But really, they're just taking the calories way down because donuts are super high in calories per the volume. They have a ton of fat in them, which stacks the calories up that much, a ton of sugar. So they tend to be hyper palatable, meaning that they're super delicious and we want to eat more of them. Never have I ever eaten one donut and went, man, I really wish I had not eaten that whole thing. I shouldn't have eaten that because it was just too much good stuff and I'm satisfied. No, usually it's like, give me five more. Let's do half a dozen and maybe let's get weird and do the whole dozen. I don't know. Just depends on how I'm feeling that day. <laughs> but when we were talking about baked goods and stuff like that, that's going to fall into a, like a, a cross between the fats and carbs. So limiting those would be wise, especially if you're on the weight loss train, fat loss train. From there, we get into our fats, like we were talking about more olive oils, uh, plant-based type fats versus your saturated fats. Like I said, nothing wrong with the saturated fats before, but you'll see on here, we kind of have our olive oils, avocados, avocado oils. Um, some cheeses that are more longer aged are at the more eat more often end. And then you start going into 
like cheese that's less aged, like a cheddar cheese, for example, um, coconut oil or milk, um, extra virgin or light olive oil, a more processed olive oil, dark chocolate, that'd be in your, your mid-range. And then at the bottom, the saturated fats primarily, and then processed fats would be at the eat less often end of the spectrum. That'd be like bacon, butter, margarine, processed cheese, hydrogenated oils, and trans fats. Um, not the end of the world if you eat these things, just like everything else, but limiting the amount of those you eat at the bottom and trying to shift more up to the top. So depending on where you are, you may make some adjustments. Uh, this is another example of our calorie control. Um, this would be talking about how your any given meal would look in terms of portions. If you're looking to control how many calories you take in or maybe reduce your body fat or reduce your body weight. And then from there, once you have this baseline and you see how your body adapts, which will require some measurement, you know, weighing yourself, uh, a journal, I'll go over that a little bit more soon, you make adjustments. So the best we can always do is give you a template, an overview or layout that shows you roughly where you should be. But everyone is different. All the inputs in our lives vary so much and we have to look at the individual. So that's where the consistency part is so key because if you can be consistent and you know how much you're eating consistently, if you make a change and you do so consistently, you can monitor what that did for you. All right. I wanted to lose weight. So I reduced the amount of fats and carbs at each of my meals by half of a portion. Am I seeing weight loss? Yes. Awesome. I'm going to keep doing that. Or maybe you started off and you're like, you know, I'm going to just take some fats out. I'm going to take half a portion of fat, but I'll leave my carbs. And if your goal is to lose weight and you don't see weight loss as you go, then you probably need to make an adjustment to get you to where you need to go. Basically, that's where that consistency piece comes in. It's less guesswork. Things are controlled. You're just trying to control as many variables as possible so you can adjust, observe, and repeat. Uh, this is a visual I like to go over. So people eat out very frequently. It's convenient a lot of times. And don't get me wrong, there are a ton of really good options when you're eating out. It depends on where you are in the world, obviously, but um, there are a ton of good options. Sometimes it just takes a little work and thinking about. Um, but one thing that we, we can all benefit from is knowing that the portions you get when you go out to eat, a lot of times are more than what we need or definitely more than are in line with our goals. And sometimes it just flies under the radar. We don't notice it because it's being served us. It's there on a larger plate. The environment makes it so that it doesn't seem irregular. Um, this one basically is just showing the difference between typically what you're served in a restaurant when you order a cheeseburger and fries and really what an actual serving of that meal would look like. So a normal half pound cheeseburger, French fries, three quarters of a cup of ketchup, which sounds like a ton, but it's really not. I have children. I've seen cups of ketchup consumed at any given meal. So three quarters, not that bad. But if you're looking at that, that's like most people would say, you know, I'm a female. I want to lose weight. I'm eating 1200 calories a day. Why am I not losing weight? Well, a lot of times people think they're doing something, but don't realize how much they actually take in. So this would be a prime example of 
only ate one meal that day, I got to be under that 1200. In this case, you'd be looking at more like 1300 to 1400 calories and 55, maybe 60 grams of fat or more, depending on how lean the burger meat was and stuff like that. That's a lot. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's their entire day. So if you ate any other meals besides this, you may go way over on your goals if you're going for weight loss or even if you're just going to maintain your weight and be healthy. Of course, doing everything in moderation. If you had a meal like this, you know, once a week and everything else was great or once a month, it's going to be no problem. But if you're doing it once a day, you may run into some issues sooner than later. Uh, what one serving of this would probably actually look like for the normal person would be cutting everything in half. So more like a quarter pound cheeseburger instead of a half or cutting that cheeseburger and the bun in half. Cutting the ketchup size down from three quarters of a cup to one serving two tablespoons. And then about half the French fries are like a cup of French fries instead of two or three cups. That would still cut it down to about 685, 700 calories, 33 grams of fat, according to this picture. Um, and even then, that can be a significant amount of your day, depending on how you how big you are as an individual and what your goals might be. So just a, a visual I wanted to go over so you can realize just how much food can be in some of these high calorie entrees and appetizers when you go out to eat. You know, restaurants and companies that make foods make them to be as tasty as possible so that you enjoy them as much as possible and you want to keep eating them. I mean, that's the nature of the business when they make snack foods. I am not against eating snack foods. They just tend to be code for junk food, right? Like, oh, what kind of snacks can I eat is usually code for what junk foods can I still eat? Well, really, you can eat whatever junk foods you want as long as it's in line with your overall goal. And are you taking in an appropriate amount of calories? Are you hitting your macros appropriately? In other words, are you getting in enough protein and vegetables? If you satisfy those things, by all means, you can have junk food. If you're trying to lose weight and eat fewer calories, it may not be a wise strategy if you find yourself hungry all the time because those foods tend not to make you full. So it just all comes down to context and the person and making sure you're doing things that make sense for your overall goals. Uh, talking more about measurement and journaling. Um, journaling is something that is hugely, hugely valuable and it helps a ton. Even if all you do is journal, most people tend to improve their eating habits because they're writing it down alone. So I've seen plenty of people, I asked them to write me just what a typical, typical few days of eating looks like, either handwritten like on the left, which is totally fine by the way, or using an application-based journaling option like MyFitnessPal on the right. In my practice as a coach, I have people use MyFitnessPal a lot because that offers a lot more data for me to look at. Um, and then we can start to be a little more objective with their food intake and what they're actually taking in. A lot of times it's easy to get you know, there's a lot of emotional, um, ritualistic type of things that happen with food. And that's totally normal and totally fine. So it can be tough sometimes to make changes because you feel tied to a ritual that goes along with the food, which is okay. It's just another hurdle to go over. But a lot of times taking a step back and being more objective, trying to put your scientific hat on 
and measure things for what they are rather than how they make you feel or how they play into your life and how important is that to you to make these changes can be very helpful. So like the example on the left, the handwritten version that could be in a notebook or if you keep a journal for daily anyway, which I highly recommend, um, that way you can just write down what meal was it, what time did I do it, what did I eat and drink, and try and be specific, be precise as possible about what it is you had and when. You know, so if you if you have a food scale, use a food scale. It sounds like it would be way over the top, but really it's pretty fast to measure using a food scale. If you have something on a plate, you can tear your plate and then put your food on it, and then you know exactly what it is rather than guessing. But if you're using the palms and, and fists and cupped handfuls approach, you could just put two palms of chicken, two cupped handfuls of couscous and one fist of broccoli and one thumb of olive oil, for example. It could be as simple as that. As long as your measurement system is pretty consistent, if you make changes to your stuff, you'll be fine. It's just the more precise you are, the more data you have, uh, the more you can look into that and identify roadblocks and stuff that you may need to focus on. Another helpful thing with this is notes, taking notes about those meals. That could be something like, how did you feel or what was the situation like? Um, it could be like, for example, if you ate half of what you planned to eat for breakfast because you were running late and had to get out the door as fast as possible, that would be helpful to note down. Like, why are you skipping a, Why am I skipping a meal? Why am I running low this day? And then my energy is low later on. Well, I probably shouldn't skip breakfast. Information like that can be really helpful when you're trying to analyze and identify issues or roadblocks or just see what's working well for you. You know, if, if all your notes are got up early to make my breakfast and got it done and then at the end of the day you feel great and your recovery is good, then having notes to that confirm your lifestyle setup supporting that feeling would be helpful. So journal often, journal consistently, and it tends to help a lot. If for no other reason, if you're getting started with something new, do some journaling, take some notes, identify where you're at, and then start to work your way to where you want to be. This is a good exercise, and some of my training with precision nutrition um, involves a lot of uh, habit-based coaching and client-centered coaching. So if someone really struggles with appetite, this is a exercise that I would go through. And I would argue that most people would benefit from being more mindful about their eating and their appetite, especially. A lot of us, you know, there's so many distractions now, TV, computer, your phone, they're always on, they're always there, they're always within arm's reach and accessible. And they can cause us to want to multitask more than we probably should, especially around stuff like eating meals. You know, it's easy to get lost in Instagram while you're eating something looking at your phone, which may not seem like the end of the world until you run into issues with, I need to lose some weight or, you know, I've really lost a lot of muscle. I need to gain some muscle or my energy is not as good as it should be. I wonder if that's attributed to my nutrition and lifestyle. Um, whatever the situation might be, taking your time when you eat meals can be really helpful and being mindful about those meals. So what I mean by that, 
would be like knowing going into a meal, taking a step back to identify like how hungry am I right now? Am I eating because it's my normal dinner time? Am I eating because I'm hungry or have I been working on my computer in my office and I'm bored and I'm going to eat pretzels in my kitchen because I, if I spend an, another minute on the computer, I'm going to freak out. You know, it depends on your situation, but taking a step back to identify, am I actually hungry can be extremely beneficial. And if you're at all interested in weight loss or fat loss, starting with that can be absolutely huge. Even if you change nothing else, being more mindful can be extremely helpful. And you start to develop a healthier relationship with food. You start to pay attention to how full you are, what your appetite's like. You tend not to overeat as much. All of these things can be beneficial for overall health and longevity, performance, body composition, basically everything. So this is a, a exercise you might go through if you find that, okay, I, I don't eat breakfast. I'm super busy, not a morning person. I drink my coffee and I get out of the door. And then I eat a little lunch. I usually, you know, I eat something healthy. I bring a salad with chicken or I go to Chipotle and I get a salad. And then I work, work, work all afternoon, late into the evening. Then I get home and then it is go time and I'm eating all the things, the pizza, the ice cream. And it's like, I can't stop. I don't know what's going on. Well, this exercise would be a good way to kind of take a few steps back get to earlier in that routine and identify some things that are maybe causing issues later on in your day. So if you find that you overeat a lot in the evening and you're not eating much earlier in the day, that could be a sign that you're foregoing meals that you should probably have that would keep your appetite in a more sustainable place. You know, if you're, if you're trying to eat when you're a seven out of 10 on the appetite scale, you're probably going to be able to keep your food intake in check better than if you're a 12 out of 10 and the pantry is yours now. So it's taking a step back here, go to your meal time and you're writing down the date, the time, and how are you feeling? I'm not too hungry. I'm not too full. You know, when you finish a meal that can help you keep an eye on where you're at, you know, understanding that, all right, I'm satisfied right now. I'm not stuffed it can be really helpful for your relationship with food. And this is just something that I would have just about anyone do, but especially if you notice there are times a day where you kind of lose control when it comes to how much that you eat. Uh, finally, this is a, uh, one of the materials I use with lots of my clients when I'm doing a habit-based coaching setup, like the, uh, the, the hand prescription of portions. And basically this is going to encompass like all the things we just talked about, plus a look at setting goals and the process for that. So when we're talking about goal setting, it's important to be very specific, you know, identify exactly what you want. So you could look at it from a timeline standpoint and say, okay, here's my three month goal, my six month goal and my year long goal. That way, you can make sure that those goals make sense in that sequence. And then you have some hard timelines on it. So, you know, during certain periods, you're going to have to focus on those goals and break them down. So here, for example, a two month goal or eight week goal would be an outcome goal. So what I want to take place, what I want to happen in that time. 
it's really easy to say what my outcome goal is. There's not much skin in the game until I say what I need to do to satisfy that outcome. And that would be taking a step back into the process progress goals. So if I need to lose 10 pounds in eight weeks, that means I need to lose somewhere between one to two pounds per week, you know, 1.2 to 1.5 probably. If on average I'm losing that much each week, then I will lose my 10 pounds in eight weeks. I'll satisfy my goal. So that means my average body weight each week needs to go down that much. So I need to make sure I'm hitting that. So I'm on track with my longer term eight week goal. Taking a step back from there, even and breaking it down more. Well, how do I lose that one to two pounds per week? I need to be better and more diligent about each of my meals, getting in one to two palms of protein, two to three fifths of veggies, and at least one glass of water every time I eat. You know, on this particular example, I'm not prescribing how many times you eat. It would be more like, I want you to eat a meal like that when you're at least when you're about six or seven on the appetite scale and stop eating when you're about 80% full. That way you're satisfied, but you're not stuffed. You're not, you're not totally full. You're satisfied. That will probably get us the outcome that we want if we do those kinds of things every day. And then from a calendar standpoint, the way I measure your consistency or your adherence to this plan would be an X on the days where you satisfy this goal. Every time you eat, if you hit the, the palms of protein, the veggies and the water, if every meal was like that, X it off. If you miss one meal on that day or the entire day for that matter, it would be a no. So it's basically a yes or no. Did you hit your goals? Yes or no. That way we can see what percentage of the time do you hit your goals. So really to be consistent enough to see change, we would go off the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, you should probably be on point with the things you need to do to reach your goals. And if you're 20% or less of the time coming off your plan, within reason, of course, then you'll probably still see progress. In terms of your normal seven-day week, that would mean you need to be at five or more days per week to be about 72 to 75%, I want to say. So we'd be looking for five plus days per week that you're doing that every day. And at the end of the month, you know, if I have 30 days in the month, I'm going to want to see at least 24 of those days with the X. And if we don't, we may not need to change the process stuff or the outcome part. What we may need to do is dive into, okay, why are we not able to meet these goals for the process? You know, the, the portion sizes. Is it an issue with your environment? Like, do you not have food available to you regularly? Or maybe you need to start prepping food so that you do have food available and ready to eat when it's time for a meal. Do you need to plan a little bit better? Like if you're always late to stuff, maybe you need to wake up a little earlier, have your food already laid out the night before. That way you can take it in a bag and go rather than thinking that you are going to be able to package stuff up and have everything you need for the day. So basically troubleshooting, why are we not able to adhere versus changing our goal is what I would do in that case. If you are 24 plus days out of the month, you know, getting that X, you're doing the things you need to do and you're still not seeing progress, that's where we, we may need to make adjustments. And that's fine. 
And a lot of people would say, you know, a month and we're not seeing more than four pounds of weight loss, you know, is, is that bad? Am I not doing well? I would say absolutely not. You're doing awesome. One, if you're, if you're seeing progress, you're doing great. But if you're seeing for most people, half a percent to 1% of your body weight and weight loss per week, that would be awesome. So if you weigh 150 pounds and you're losing one pound a week, you're right on track with that percent range. Keep it going. Keep doing what you're doing. You're moving the right way. It may not be at the pace that you really want, but we got to think about this in the, the long term. The chances of you losing weight really fast and then putting it back on are very high. Whereas if we build the right habits, we do it at a reasonable pace so that your body isn't overworked, overstressed, and then rebounds is really important as well. So taking your time to accomplish these things is important. And the same would go for muscle gain or weight gain. You'd be looking to gain at an even slower rate though, more like a quarter of, a, of your body weight, quarter percent of your body weight each week gained. So some people are like, I wanted to gain you know, 10 pounds of muscle this month. That sounds cool on an ad in a magazine. That's not a thing. If you gain 10 pounds in a month of muscle, please let me know what you're doing so we can bottle it up and sell it to the world and grow rich, but it's not going to happen. Chances are you gained a lot of water weight. You may have gained some muscle and you may have also gained some body fat. Not necessarily a bad thing, but not a sustainable rate of muscle gain, even for a beginner. So if we're able to gain at a slower rate, chances are we'll be able to hold on to that gained muscle for longer and we'll have more sustainable habits that helped us get there that we can do for the long term and repeat this process over and over. That's basically everything that I wanted to cover on the nutrition side. Now I'll talk a little bit about the training and fitness aspect um, as it pertains to tattoo artists, because you guys do have some interesting um, issues, I will say, or areas that you can focus on to optimize what you do with exercise. So knowing the kind of postures that you're in day in and day out, you know, you're going to run into possibly some orthopedic issues in low back, upper back, shoulders, neck, wrists. Those are common areas for yourselves and ways that you can start to mitigate that with your training would be adding more upper back and pulling type movements into your exercise program. And when I'm talking about your exercise program, I'm talking about like weight training and cardio because they're both really important. Um, cardio is just short for cardiovascular cardio or steady state cardio or intervals or whatever variety you like is really helpful. Even if it's just walking every day for overall health and heart health, which is obviously very important. Um, and that will help you with longevity and it'll also usually help you with energy. So if you notice that you are wiped out at the end of a day of work and you're not active right now, it's, it sounds counterintuitive doing more and being more physically active will actually help you achieve a higher level of energy in most cases, especially when you combine it with all this nutrition stuff we just talked about and help give you more energy for longer and usually better recovery. So you can do that day in and day out week after week. So highly recommend doing cardio, but I recommend you do that as well as not in place of weight training. And then it's not just because I enjoy doing it. 
It's because there are a multitude of benefits from weight training that you can experience that aren't just for body composition, aesthetics, you know, bone density, endurance, posture, which can help you with your quality of life and your job and being able to work for longer, more effectively. Um, it can help you be more functional as you get older, getting up off the ground, things like that are largely based on strength and mobility. So doing weights, weight training in such a way that you can progressively build up in difficulty over time with shortened periods of tapered amounts of effort. So we call them deloads, basically weeks where weeks or even whole training cycles where you go a little bit lighter, you let your body recover, and then you work on building back up again. So you're gradually exposing yourself to more difficult workouts will help you keep getting better for the long run. And if it feels too easy starting off when you're new to this stuff, that's even better because you're giving yourself room to grow. So never start off so hard that you're like, oh, I'm dead. I, and you fizzle out after a few weeks or a few months. Do it in such a way that you can gradually build your way up, learn to embrace the process of this, and you'll have a lifelong means for refilling your cup with energy, so to speak, and supporting your other goals for weight loss or muscle gain, or even just being healthier and having more energy and more longevity. When it comes to that weight training aspect for you guys, like I was saying, the, the posterior chain, which is basically the backside of your body, is of the utmost importance and is generally the most neglected in the gym by most um, general population folks. And those areas would be particularly like your glutes and your hamstrings, which for most people tend to be weak because most people go into the gym and they hit some bench press and they do some bicep curls. And they're like, that's cool. I'm going to get out of here. Um, nothing wrong with doing that, but not as high a priority as these larger muscle groups, especially if you have any interest at all in performance, or if you're trying to lose muscle, gain body fat, utilizing your biggest muscle groups will cost the most from an energy standpoint and, or help you develop the most muscle in the process, which will improve your percent body fat improve your performance and output in basically every way. And if you've ever noticed that your lower back has issues, you know, when you're bent over working all day, having a stronger butt and stronger legs will always benefit you because rather than use your back for the brunt of things, when you pick something up off the ground, for example, or carry something, you'll start to use the big muscles that should be doing the job and thereby save your back and, keep you free of injury more often than not. Um, the other backside of the body uh, area that you should definitely focus on is like your upper back and shoulders. So those would be like your pulling movements, rows, pull-ups, chin-ups, um, or the machine variations of these things. Learning to get your shoulders away from your ears, keeping them down and back with your shoulder blades is huge. A lot of times when you don't have your upper back in a good position, your lower back starts to take it. So if my upper back and shoulders are rolled forward and I'm shrugged, if I go to hold something or carry something, I tend to feel the pressure on my low back. Having a stronger upper back is always going to be helpful. Um, one thing you may think about is, for example, if you do weight training and you're doing upper body stuff, 
make sure the amount of pulling exercises at least equals the amount of pushing exercises. If not, I would do more like a two or three to one ratio of pulling to pushing. That way you're balancing out your shoulders a little bit better. And of course, there are a ton of ways you can do that. But in general, if you're thinking about a, a horizontal or a vertical pull or push, which is how we generally classify exercises, you would want to have a two to three pull to push ratio. Um, that will just keep your shoulders happy, keep your upper back strong, help you with more of your posture muscles so you sit up tall rather than expose your low back to more issues. And there's going to be plenty of times that you just can't get around being in a compromised posture for a length of time when you're working on someone in a weird position. But the stronger you are, the more resilient your body tends to be and the less likely you'll be injured or the more likely if you do get injured that you will recover more quickly and completely. Um, from, from a uh, training standpoint, doing things to uh, keep your wrists happy is also very important. So doing stuff that's more like neutral with your wrist rather than pressing with this extended position can be a lot easier. So rather than doing pushups on the ground here, you may do pushups on dumbbells so that you have this neutral grip while you're doing your pushups or your presses or whatever it may be. That way you keep your wrists happy. Also, when you're doing stuff in the gym, try not to like grip super hard on everything because that starts to fire a lot of the muscles in your forearm and there's nerves that run from there into your hand. And if they're overactive more often than not, your wrist, your grip can start to get a little pissed off. So in the interest of keeping those things happy, Enough grip to be safe at what you're doing, but not over the top amount of pressure. Another thing to think about would be mobility and stability of your shoulder joint. Same with your hips. Mobility is just being able to move through full range of motion. Um, if you notice that your shoulders, like you can't reach up all the way overhead, you know, you're limited to here. Or if your hips are really tight, like squatting down to the couch is like hard, then you may lack strength, but you may also lack mobility. Usually it's a combination of the two. There are tons of ways you can, you can work on that from massage, getting a massage, a little self-care, always a good idea, or self-massage techniques like foam rolling or using a, a yoga tune-up balls. I love those or, or lacrosse balls to roll out tight areas it can be really helpful. If you've ever, if you've never heard of Kelly Starrett, he is the the mastermind behind all things mobility. Um, if you're looking to do some, some work like that, you may look into him. He has a book out there that's really awesome called The Supple Leopard. Highly recommend that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on YouTube and online for mobility. And that could also be doing things like yoga or static stretching before or after workouts to help maintain those areas or increase their mobility would be really helpful. Um, but that basically covers everything I wanted to go over for training. Um, and now if you guys have any questions, I'd be happy to answer those. I hope that gave you some stuff to work on right away. All right, let me see if I can stop this, Lauren.
Sorry, I was muted. Uh, what can artists and clients snack on in between those long sessions? During the workout, I'm assuming. Uh, in the wild tattooing, what oh, can they oh, snack tattooing. on? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so having a balanced meal would always be ideal. But sometimes you may have to do something more portable. Um, and that could be, like, for example, maybe you do like a wrap. Something that's portable. Think like, could you drive and eat it? It's probably going to be easier to take out. That could be like a chicken wrap with veggies, like a multi-grain wrap, something that has protein, that has protein veggies, has some healthy carbs, and probably some healthy fats. That way it's well-rounded. You could also do like a frozen smoothie with protein in it, fruits. Great part of smoothies is you can sneak in a ton of veggies, like uh, spinach or uh, kale. For the record, hate kale unless it's a smoothie. <laughs> but you can put that stuff in and basically get chicken 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 that says easy to eat as drinking wine. Okay. Also, we have a viewer who asked, what is the importance of staying mobile, being that our profession is fairly sedentary? Correct. You'll be seated while you do that. However, being seated for extended periods can decrease your mobility because you don't go through range of motion. So you can lose range of motion when you're not working. And usually when you're losing range of motion, the muscles that help you execute that range of motion get tighter, weaker, it can cause more issues. So you're much more likely, for example, have back spasms, or low back pain if your hips are really tight and lack range of motion than if they do not. Excellent. And one of our last questions we have here, how can a tattoo artist go about starting this process? So one of the easiest ways to get started- Basically, how can they start eating better and- Okay. Uh, yeah. To get started eating better okay. or with exercise, to get started eating better or with exercise, start with something that you think you can execute start with, with the confidence of an eight out of 10 or higher. So an example could be so, starting with journaling your food in a notebook. Starting with journaling your food in I'm a just going to write my food down the next every I'm day. This week. write my food down the next Every if day that's feel confident you can do that every day, start with that. Feel like I said, you'll probably eat better just because you know you're writing it down. Just because you know you're writing down. And then from a training standpoint, a training it can standpoint, be as simple as, as simple as right now, now don't, don't do any, any activity. activity. So I'm, I'm going to start with 10 minutes a day. day I'm going to walk. walk. And if that's all it is, you've made leaps and bounds and started. And then you just layer in and build from that. And then you just layer in and build from that. Try and be consistent, and over awesome. time you'll build up. Consistent, and over time you'll build up. Awesome. Well, uh, Coach Zach, we are ex very um, happy that you decided to join us today. I really loved your presentation, and I'm sure everyone can take a lot of what they learned and apply it to their lives. Um, if you have anything else, um, I'm curious, where can we find you online? Are you on Instagram? Um, do you have any handles that you would like to share with us? 
Yeah, if you're uh, interested yeah, in looking me up online, I have up online, an Instagram. It's at Coach DT, as in Zach Turner. I'm also on Facebook. I'm also on with Zach Turner Training and Nutrition. And then I have a website. Coachdt.com. And there you can find ways to contact me if you're interested in any coaching or what kind of services I offer. Uh, email. I'll send you my form so I can learn more about you and how I might do a service. But thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you all. I hope you learned something. And keep doing what you do best, guys. Awesome. Thank you to everybody for watching. And if you have any questions for us after this, uh, please let us know. Or you can find Zach at the links that he had mentioned before. All right, everybody, have a great and nutritious rest of your day. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon.